Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. And welcome to the first and so far only kind of live show, the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me today is Francis Horton from Hell of a Way to Die, and the guy who will hypothetically keep me from libeling someone, Carrie Shocks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, um, I'm, not, I'm not committing to that. Uh, we're we're going to learn about island law through through. It's, it's all just admiralty a- law, so you're good. My- my only recommendation for you is to take to the fucking sea if you get in trouble, especially where you're in Hawaii. International waters is like all around you, man. <laughs> so the show is a, is a bit of a, um, of a history, right? Like it started almost three years ago now. And our very first episode was about Luigi Cadorna. Um, and ever, and back then I was not good at this podcast. Uh, I did mostly because I didn't fucking care. <laughs> like I didn't think anybody would ever give me money for it. Uh, I never thought that um, three years later and a hundred episodes later, this would be my fucking job. Uh, never in a million years. So, you know, it took me, um, you know, 20 minutes to research the first episode. Cause again, I didn't give a shit. Um, and you know, Looking back at it, I'm not proud of that episode. And I've also said that I was never going to do a reboot of any episode in Lions Led by Donkey's back catalog. Uh, but I have lied. This is the Luigi Cadorna reboot. Luigi Cadorna 2, the Cadorna-ing. Um, so it's gritty and sepia-toned like if it was a shitty Zack Snyder film. And like one of Zack Snyder's films, it's being released one too many times. Um so before I get started, I should probably tell the difference uh, between how things used to be and how things are now. And that is I'm going to acknowledge the sources that I used because they're actually good. Um, and that is between acceptance and refusal, soldiers' attitude towards the war and morale in the Italian army in the First World War. Uh, and both of those are by Vonda Wilcox. Um, and uh, it's the only other person I've ever seen uh, their research where they're so thoroughly cadorna pilled as I have been. Um, also, I'll be referencing a very short uh, biography about Luigi Cadorna titled Luigi Cadorna by Annie Grillini. Uh, so uh, I, I believe I have to say Annie Grillini. Um, I'll be doing that a lot. Uh, so going into this, do either of you all know anything about Luigi Cadorna? I don't, I don't know who this is. I don't know who we're talking about. So, I, I, as I related, I did listen to this first episode when it first came out. Because I listened to both like Hell of a Way to Die. I listened to all the podcasts of the Bethay universe uh, on my drive cross country before I went to go study for the bar exam. Oh, so and sorry. And so, so like, well, no, so this was better 
even your original shitty recording was great because it was either that or listen to Barbary talk about property law. Um, so, you know, I mean, you could put that as a blurb on, you know, the, the, uh, the eventual, uh, 18 CD release of this podcast. Um, <laughs> Lions led by donkeys. It's not law. Yeah, it's, it's a low bar, it, but it I love it. So, like, I, I vaguely, I have like a vague memory of him fighting, like, you know, uh, a baker's dozen battles and uh, not really getting anywhere. But like, that's, you know, that was also that was Lions led by donkeys season one. I'm excited for the Lions led by donkeys season two take on this one. This is this is a rebirth. I don't know how many seasons it takes for us to no longer be good, but it's that one. Um, I have to admit, I'm kind of obsessed with this guy. Um, and a lot of <laughs> it, it's simply because, um, you know, generally speaking, even in World War One, which, you know, we all uh, get it. Generally speaking. Uh, <laughs> so, like, you know, hey! even in World War One, people are generally like, well, if you fail a dozen times, even in World War One, you'll be fired. Or like, you know, he is someone that's just so incredibly inept incompetent and like criminally vicious he's a cartoon character not to mention that like he kind of looks like one too um and it's kind of incredible that he exists and he's still continued something of a hero in italian military history um he still has an italian military academy named after him uh so yeah i mean we have a bunch of forts (laughs) named after confederate generals so i mean are we really one to judge no, we are yeah, not. we can't. We can't talk shit on that. No, we're not. Uh, but at least some of those Confederate generals won a battle. Um, <laughs> Luigi Cadona did not. Um, so what you're saying is that you do actually have to hand it to him? You do not. Um, I will say this: of Luigi <laughs> Cadona, he was not a Confederate. That's the nicest thing I can say about him. <laughs> was he a Nazi? No, but he was a fascist. Uh, <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, so. It's only it's only Nazi Nazism if it comes from a special part of Austria. Otherwise, it's just sparkling fascism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm told it's actually called uh, Western chauvinism. A bunch of guys in uh, black and yellow polo shirts told me that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm not a Nazi. I, I'm just asking questions. Uh, also, right. this is this podcast is not sponsored by PragerU. Um, <laughs> So, Luigi Cadorna was born in 1850, the son of a celebrated Piedmontese general named General Raffaele Cadorna. Uh, Danny, uh, Daddy Cadorna had been one of the region's major leader, uh, leaders, that being Piedmont, during the Italian Resurgimento, or the resurgence, uh, and eventual reunification. That was actually my, uh, that was my only fan's name for a while, was Daddy Cadorna. <laughs> <laughs> just instead of showing anything erotic, it just piles of corpses on the, on the mountains, like, Hey, hey. <laughs> uh, and he was a legitimate military hero, and by all accounts, very good at his job. He would fight in various Italian wars of independence, of which there was a ton of them, and uh, took off time from that to go fight in the Crimean War in 1855. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is that Luigi didn't see his dad a whole lot. Um, a common trait uh, amongst military leaders who, what like who we talk about on this show, is like. Dad was a drunk and he left, or dad was a general and left. Um, uh, it, or or he's probably both. Yeah. So, so Joe, I have a question here. Uh, so, where's your commission, buddy? <laughs> uh, I actually have to go to Italy so I can uh, kill the most amount of people with my incompetence. <laughs> um, 
But Daddy Cadorna was not just any powerful figure to have as a father. He was like quite legitimately the most powerful person for someone about to take part in a military education like Luigi would. Raffaele Cadorna, under the orders of Victor Emmanuel II, the King of Italy, would command the soldiers that would invade the Papal States and capture Rome in 1870, ending the 1100-year reign of the Papal States under the Pope, nearly bloodlessly. Um, and uh, like he personally commanded the soldiers who retook Rome. Luigi himself took part in the battle uh, under the command of his own father, because, uh, of course, he did. Um, but the <laughs> Thanks, reason Dad. why... Yeah, and the reason why I bring that up is because Luigi was the child of a national hero, someone who uh, has more than a few monuments still standing of him today. Um, so when like he came... To age, when he came of age, the surprise of, to the surprise of absolutely nobody, he got into the exact same schools his dad went into and graduated from uh, the Turin Military Academy as a second lieutenant of artillery in 1868. Now, remember, he's an artillery officer, which, like, some people might favorably compare to Napoleon. But re just remember the fact that he hypothetically should have an education in artillery. That's going to be important going forward. Um <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. He should know what yeah. he's doing. Uh, after that, in 1870, he took part in the capture of Rome, uh, like we talked about, um, in which he always kind of considered his baptism of fire. But um, it really but did, but wasn't. But did you say it was bloodless? Mostly. Um, so it really came down <laughs> to the fact that the papal forces did not want to surrender without a fight. So they quite literally came to a gentleman's agreement where they'd fight it out for just a little while before they surrendered. Um and this came this came down to <laughs> Luigi's artillery red, uh, artillery battery firing at the outer walls of the city for about three hours. Um, yeah, that fucking rules. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I'm I'm gonna give up, but I really need you to just like blow apart some. It's like I I can't uh, uh, when the the guy on the inside just like well you can't you you know if uh, if you don't do something they're just gonna kill me so you gotta get shot in the leg except yeah. it's a city. <laughs> it, it, it's uh, it's kind of ridiculous because it's like you could just surrender like no I'd really like you to kill some of my soldiers first like okay yeah like you know like Larry Moe and Curly yeah go out there and uh, go fire at the uh, the opposing troops yeah no it'll be fine I promise <laughs> uh, so after this Luigi did the only thing a rich child of a count and national hero oh, yeah, at one point uh, Raffaele becomes a count um, and a national hero could do. Uh, uh, uh. He rapidly ascended through the ranks of the unified Italian military. He bounced around his aides to various generals before eventually becoming the Verona Divisional Commander. It was once during this command that we got to see what Luigi was made of, not just his dad. Uh, and that was the fact that he was a massive asshole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, before going on, I need to point out a little bit about military life. Uh, and what at this point the stories is, is the 1800s, late 1800s. Uh, and military life is hard. It's rough. Uh, discipline and punishments for soldiers are almost always through severe beatings, ration cutting, and other shit that would be just considered assault or torture now. Um, so it's either the 1800s in Italy or now in Russia. Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's... It, that part is important is that like if he would just like smack his soldiers around or order somebody smack his soldiers around, nobody would make a note of it. But Luigi's peers and superior commanders noted that he was exceptionally brutal and that, and was so strict to his soldiers under his command, even so, uh, other officers of the day thought he was going overboard. Uh, so 
Hey man, hey man, you can't you you can beat the privates, but you can't beat them bloody. He's gonna do much more than that. Um, but yeah, he would like uh, cut their rations down to like they're virtually starving, and like this kind of strict disciplinarian shit. You know, like that shit that we talk about when ever uh, anybody hypothetically speaks of the old military. It's like they yeah. daydream about things being like viciously brutal, like they're going to be a go-gay or some shit. And it's like this creates a problem. And Luigi Cadorna created something of a feedback loop. Um, and this this feedback loop would define his career. Now, one of his most foremost thoughts that every problem in an army could be solved by more discipline. And discipline had to be inspired through only physical punishment. So when his soldiers fucked up, they would be punished, meaning they'd get beaten, causing a lot of them to desert because fuck that. Um, as desertion rose, effectiveness would go down, causing more punishment and more desertions. So he'd effectively like cannibalize his own military through his incompetence. And this is before World War I. Uh, and, and most of these guys are all conscripts. So they're like, fuck this, I'm going home. Yeah, I mean, that's legit. I would too. <laughs> so obviously, as anybody with a goddamn brain would point out, just fire Cadorna. Like, that'd be the easiest way to go about this. Like, the military was failing all of its, like, uh, its own inspections all the way up until World War One, um, And, you know, but never once is this idea floated, like, maybe we should fire Luigi, uh, until decades and, and almost a million people are dead, or at least out of the war on the Italian side. Um, because, like I said, World War One hadn't started yet. When World War One began, Luigi was in command of all of the Italian forces in the kingdom, but Italy was still trying to stay neutral. Though not really. They were already in talks with the Triple Entente about entering the war on their side, but they were just trying to play neutral because they're like, our army is fucked and we need more time. Um, you see, in the interim years, Cadorna had not only shut up the ranks of the Italian military using big, don't you know who my dad is energy, but he would also be the author of the main Italian infantry tactics manual that would be used throughout the entire future conflict. Remember, he was an artillery officer. He was not an infantryman, but he would set the standard um, for all our, uh, uh, Italian military tactics for the infantry. Um, this means he was in a unique position to not only build the army he was going to go to war with, but also dictate how they'd be trained because they'd be trained by his manual, meaning the success or failure of any future Italian war would quite literally land directly on his head. Uh, now, I didn't read what Cadorna wrote because it's an Italian. However, his infantry tactics did vary slightly from some people of the day, though every general was horribly backwards in what you'd consider modern military tactics. And this is, even for the day, bad. Uh, like, you know, there's a lot of wars, especially the Russo-Japanese War, which we talked about, already punched a lot of holes in their tactics. And nobody took anything from it because they're like, ah, they're the Japanese. Like, and, and the right, like, they're... Right, you know. because everyone's wicked racist and, like, you know, like, even <laughs> as much as the Italians might be, uh, everyone else is racist against the Italians... Uh, the Italians are also super racist against the Japanese. Everybody's racist against the Japanese. Um, and most and the Japanese are racist against everybody. Yeah. Everybody's just real yeah. racist. It, a just... lot of it came down to they didn't see Russians as truly Europeans. They saw they saw them as something in between. So they're like, well, that wouldn't happen to us. We're white. You know, we're Italian. We're German. We're Austrian. We're whatever. Uh, so like no lessons were learned from that though some were taken from the naval battles almost nothing in in the land war um so cadorna's ideas came down to 
The army should always be attacking. Always, 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 no matter what attack. A strictly disciplined force should always be able to attack. But an attacking army made it hard to do things like artillery and machine guns, which Cadorna hated most of all. He really did not like machine guns. He thought they were ungentlemanly. Um, yeah. Uh, so... Winning, winning wars is just ungentlemanly. And, like, when you constantly attack, you know, it is hard there is. to... <laughs> That's Luigi's it's mustache. It's just peering right down there. at you. I don't know why I can't... Get, I don't know how to make it, like, move around, but I think this is enough. This is all you need to see. I mean, I'm just here in the great city of St. Louis. Um, <laughs> you know, just here, uh, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm uh, connecting with the Heartland Roots. Uh, you know the Italian. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you some toasted ravioli. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the things that was a problem is if you're constantly attacking, it's really hard to keep artillery up, right? Like, because artillery is mostly pulled by pack animals during this time, or if you're really unlucky by hand, uh, and it's never gonna move so, as fast. Wait, is I'm sorry. I'm uh, so I know I spent 20 years in the military, but I know like literally nothing about attack tactics or anything like that. Is artillery not meant as an offensive weapon? Is it strictly defensive? It wasn't yet. Um, okay. It was like the the concept of like indirect fire, uh, you know, firing at something you cannot see, uh, was developed mostly and used effectively in the Russo-Japanese War. But because they like to ignore everything from the Russo-Japanese War. The Italian military still <laughs> fired from line of sight artillery, meaning it's not going to be great if you're constantly attacking. Um, also, there was other problems. Remember how I said Luigi's an artillery officer. So he's commanding an army of damn near 1 million men. And that army has about 120 pieces of artillery out of a million people. Um, and most of them are old and very small. Uh, and he only had like a couple dozen machine guns. <laughs> The people of the artillery. Art, uh, artillery and machine guns. Uh, but he had a million people. Um, so it's not great. He has a lot of manpower and nothing to go with it. Um, but we should also look at the kind of army that Luigi was building, you know, before he kills it. Um, first of all, the war was not popular in Italy. There is no enthusiasm for any conflict really whatsoever. Um, Vonda Wilcox notes that almost every regular soldier, also a conscript, was, quote, at best uninterested, at worst openly opposed. <laughs> um, I mean, that sounds like pretty much everyone who's, like, junior enlisted in any army ever. It's There was other nations that were quite enthusiastic about this war. Britain, Germany, things like that. But also... When when has Britain and Germany not been enthusiastic about a fucking That's war? That's true. Uh, and like, remember, almost everyone thinks this war is gonna be over very quickly. To include Luigi Cadorna, like his entire idea is like, ah, the war will be over in a month because my amazing attack formations. Um, to the shock of probably nobody, research shows that the higher that you went the social classes, the more likely you were to support the war, and the poorer you were, the less likely. Combine this with the idea that. Uh, remember that the uh, a concept of a unified Italian patriotism is very, very new. Um, like, because most people consider World War One and the era around World War One kind of like the birth of nationalism. Um, yeah. In places like Britain and Germany, uh, Turkey, you know, things like that. So, like, they didn't have that because they're like, we've been Italian for like thirty years. Nobody cares. Like, fuck off. Well, even like, I mean, even <laughs> Germany too. Like, it was a relatively root, like new nation at that point. Like, it really had yeah. only like existed for like. A comparatively small amount of time 
like you know versus just being kind of prussia and like a collection of like you know other states you know bavaria and whatever and a lot of that was like dominated by prussians uh because just a bunch of bavarians hanging out yeah uh thankfully nothing bad ever happens with that um (laughs) imagine kurdistan but bavaria (laughs) what if a swedish man was italian um (laughs) <laughs> no, since there's really no flag to rally around. Some people were. Some people were absolutely Italian nationalists, but that was uncommon. But there was, there, even for the lower classes, there wasn't really a lot to rally around. Uh, this left Italy in a very strange place. While other soldiers cheered and talked about being home by Christmas and winning glory and for the, at, at the, like the, the champions of war and stuff like that, Italian soldiers were already deserting and maiming themselves to get a service before Italy actually entered the war. <laughs> um, which is impressive. Uh, so without a single unifying force driving people and not having enough time to do some of that like classical political indoctrination that you would expect, the Italian military is left with the only thing Cadorna knew how to do. Beat the shit out of people. I'm, I'm, I'm also just imagining like the Italian PAO at this particular like, you know, time, like just like really trying to like get everyone just like I'm imagining it almost like Richard Simmons. Like, just, like, going out and, like, just trying to get everyone fucking jazzed about, like, going the fuck to war against Austria and just having everybody else just, like, flip them off and, like, you know, try to, like, skate off to a warehouse to go sleep or something. I actually uh, have an appointment. I uh, I can't take part in this offensive. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm right on medical. I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go over here. Now, part of Cadorna's obsession with the concept of discipline uh, is, like, he thought that... Everything else soldiers would learn from like basic infantry maneuvers to marksmanship didn't mean a whole lot if you couldn't get them to stick around during a fight. Um, so he learned discipline, but not about the existence of morale, I suppose. Um, but another part of this is, and hear me out, because this is from an enlisted guy who always should talk to generals, I know. But Luigi Cadorna quite literally hated his soldiers under his command. But he was not alone. Remember, Italy at this time is a kingdom. And during most of his military, uh, during most of his time, most of the military leadership came from some level of aristocracy or another. So when mobilization was ordered, like most countries, they pulled in hundreds and thousands of peasants to become soldiers overnight. At the time, the government was functioning under the idea that the peasants were loyal, obedient and passive, but dumb. While the urban working class had all become contaminated with the vile ideas of socialism and thought way too highly of themselves. And it turns out if you're Luigi Cadorna, the only way to fix someone you find dumb or contaminated by the concept, the specter of socialism was by beating I mean, them. I mean, you gotta, yeah, you gotta yeah, hit him. You gotta, you gotta hit him, him This guy's quoting marks, get the beaten You stick. just gotta hit him. Wait, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the fireball sound? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, to his credit, Cadorna did ask for more time to prepare his army for World War, but the government refused. There's a good reason to believe, even for an idiot like Cadorna, that the Italian military was not ready for any kind of war. Just a few years before, Italy fought the Turks in 1911 over uh, some parts of Libya. And while the Italians won, it was mostly because the Ottoman military was an even bigger disaster than they were. The Italians found themselves lacking pretty much every kind of supply imaginable right from the beginning, and they never figured out how to quite fix that at all. And this is only three years removed, four years removed. Furthermore, 
Italy assumed the war via cakewalk, but instead imploded their national budget and lost nearly 10,000 casualties, which doesn't sound like a lot for the era, but they had deployed 30,000 soldiers just to face 8,000 Turks and still got fucking curb stomped. Um, and like, the, as soon as this war happened, like this war starts, they're running out of ammo. Their logistics system's completely fucked. It looks like the Afghan National Army. Like, where's all the fuel and ammo? Oh, we lost it. Huh. I thought you were giving yeah. us that. Oh, sorry. I, I got a good price on it, and I uh, I sold it to this guy down the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fell off the back of the truck. Yeah, like, you know, like a DVD player in, like, you know, 1999. <laughs> yeah. or, or socks in 2020. I've been I've been offered uh, to buy socks that fell off the back of a truck Interesting. before. Yeah, or like, I always I got get a, the steaks I, out of a trunk. I definitely uh, once, like 2007... I had a guy offer to sell me a whole stereo system out of the back of his running car next to me at a stop sign. Uh, <laughs> which, I mean, seemed like a deep discount, and I, I, I wanted to trust him, but it just didn't seem like the right time. <laughs> so uh, while all this was happening, Kadorna actually retired. Um, some of it was because he kind of didn't want to deal with this shit anymore, but also because he was, ha- he was constantly having political fights. Like, he kind of believed in a aristocracy-themed military dictatorship. And if you're in command of the army, you should kind of be able to do what the fuck you want. Um, so so, so he's in favor of a thing that we know literally never works. Yeah. It, but but benefits him. Absolutely. So yeah, he kept blaming all of his problems on his soldiers and the government, like politicians. So, um, <laughs> or like, or like me after about three beers. <laughs> yeah, like he, he he blamed everything on everyone not named Luigi Cadorna. But as World War One started, he was offered the job to be commander of everything again, and was um, saying like the government told him like we'll stay the fuck out of your way. So he accepted it. Um, it turns out when you have a shitty person who's much better actually killing his own people than the enemy, then giving them was effectively total power. It's not great. Um, now, what the fuck wh- you say? <laughs> when Italy entered World War One, Cadorna found himself arrayed against the mostly equally incompetent Austro-Hungarian forces, and almost immediately, Italian soldiers found themselves once again lacking every basic resource resource that you would need to fight an army. Um, like, like marinara sauce. <laughs> like their boots weren't even right. Like they lacked boots with, like, hobnails on the bottom, which is, like, common for the day for, like, tread, so you could, like, walk across uneven terrain, so they were pretty much just wearing slicks on their feet. Shit like that. Ooh. Yeah. Um, well, hey, look, we, we've lost wars against uh, little dudes in pajamas and Adidas slides. That's so, fair. You know, don't, don't don't tell me the footwear isn't there, but but truly, if you're sending me to war in some Adidas slides, I'm going to be pretty pissed off. Yeah, and this is like, some of the worst like terrain that... Well, like some Makbas, you know. Yeah, yeah, you, you need you need some fucking off-brand Adidas, and like, this is going to be some of the worst train that the entire war is going to be fought in. Like, um, honestly, the worst is probably the Carpathian Mountains, in my opinion. But like, the Alps are pretty fucking bad, uh, especially for a lot of dudes from the city who have never been up in the mountains before. <laughs> um, like, let alone like they're not they don't have mountain climbing training or equipment whatsoever. Um, and, like, they lacked basic soldier equipment. So uh, everything's bad. Uh, the main battlefield of the Austro-Hungarians and the Italians that would face off in 
would be the Asanzo Front, uh, otherwise known as the Asanzo Karst or the Karst Plateau. Uh, it's an incredibly rugged place, and not anywhere a soldier would ever want to find themselves having to fight a war in. It would be like two people not from Afghanistan fighting a war in Afghanistan against one another. That's never yeah, happened. thankfully. Uh, <laughs> this is a very, uh, like, it, you can't just, like, pull out a pickaxe and start digging trenches. Fortifications are incredibly hard to make. Um, it's, like, advances mean climbing mountains and things like that. Um, Afghanistan is such a wild place that anybody... Like, it, literally the only thing it has going for it is, like, it is in a strategic place, but, like, everything else. It's a beautiful country, but, man, it is not a good it's not a good place to try to fight a war, especially against the people from Afghanistan. Yeah, a lot of people I, say the same things about Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, uh, three out of ten would not recommend. Um, and to make things even worse, the Austro-Hungarians had gotten there first, so... They occupied the high ground, meaning any Italian attack would have to go straight up the goddamn mountains. So, yep. Um, it sounds good. That sounds fine. Let's do yeah, it. this is getting better Let's and better, right? Um, so, Cadorna would order the Italian army to do just that at the Battle of the Asanzo River. Not just once. Not just twice. Not just three times. But 11 fucking times. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, I, you know, you, you really start to get the sense of how fucking spoiled we are or we were when we were in the military. Like, and don't get me wrong, I all three of us bitched and moaned about something. And it's always, but at no point in time was anybody just like, yeah, we're just going to give you like some flat bottom shoes to walk across the Alps and then go fight a war that nobody really wants to go fight. <laughs> and also, you're not going to have any food or weapons or. You know, the things that you need to do. The, like, none of us would ever do that. Like, we would, like, right now, any one of us, like, yeah, yeah, of course I'm deserting. Yeah. But what does it take to fucking stick around and just be like, well, I mean, what else, what the fuck else I got to do right now, we'll I guess. We'll talk about how he got them to stick around. I'll give you a from hint. That, uh, from that description, that sounds a lot like the hooligans of Kandahar, if we're honest. <laughs> like, yeah, well, we didn't really have a lot of food. We didn't have really a lot of comforts. And, uh... You know, they made me sleep in a ditch for, like, a couple months. And significantly less Luigi's. Joe, Joe and, the, and the crew always had an MRE nearby. At yeah, least. Um, and, you know, I did fair. say 11 battles of the Asanzo. There is a 12th. However, the Italians were technically defending that time. But we'll talk about that. That's how the story <laughs> ends. We'll get there. We have a lot of shit to cover before we get to the Battle of uh, Caporetta. Uh, now, we're not going to go over each battle, because most of them end in the exact same way as the one before it. Um, and uh, a lot of people, maybe, who like are super sweaty about their Italian front history will note that technically the Italians did not lose all of these battles. And that is true. If you go by their definition of victory in World War One, which is like the front moved a couple feet. Like, that's about <laughs> it. Every- did you ever did you ever watch uh, the Black Adder Goes Forth yes. series? Yeah, yeah. When the one where they say uh, where they bring the general and they's like, "Look, we've captured some land," and he says, "Well, uh, what's the scale? Oh, it's one to one. This is literally all the land. Like they brought in a square of turf and like, look what we fought and won. <laughs> yeah, we brought it. We brought it for you to take a look at. Yeah, that's a hundred percent what this is like. Um, 
And uh, but before we go into just how all of this came crashing down, we have to talk a little bit about how these battles went, the lives of the soldiers in the trenches, and the conditions. Now, Cadorna threw his soldiers against the mountainside fortifications and the trenches of the Austro-Hungarians again and again, each time expecting some kind of Napoleonic-style breakthrough, which is like what he expected. It was like, ah, we'll punch through eventually, and like, you know, the whole line will collapse and we'll just charge all the way into fucking wherever, you know what I mean? Um, but uh, that just never occurred. Um, like, his entire attack, 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 attack philosophy meant... The only way he was ever going to win is through one of these Napoleonic breakouts. Uh, that would never occur. Now, we assume, mostly from media that we consume, that large offenses were very common in, like, uh, in like the Western Front. Like, oh, you know, this week we're going to, the, we're rotating up to the front line because uh, most soldiers rotated in and out, which means we're going to have to go over the top in this big million-man offensive. Like, when we pitch a World War One, you generally assume this happened all the time. And they really weren't. Uh, they were very uncommon, maybe one or two a year. Um, and you'd have trench raids and things like that in between, artillery strikes, stuff like that. Uh, and they always caused horrific casualties. Lather, rinse, repeat to get to the numbers that we all associate with World War I. However, our perception of World War I and the Western Front of all of these offensive happening over and over and over again, like every week or every month, were pretty fucking true for Cadorna. He ordered a major assault against the Asanzo every three months while he was in command. Just burning cool. through soldiers as soon as he got them. Um, Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, fuck those guys. And that was um, the highest operations tempo of any military during the war. Um, furthermore, while running against machine guns is bad, regardless of where you happen to be, the Italians' uh, main casualty-causing weapon that the Austro-Hungarians uh, employed against them was shell fire. Um, Long-range artillery barrages... Uh, like have kind of been stuck in everybody's mind as like the 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 feature of World War One. You either get stuck in a rolling barrage or a machine gun nest in like a trench, um, and you assume that they're equally bad. Like artillery always sucks to be hit by. However, the Italian front was much worse than everywhere else. Like the Western Front was a barren hellscape of dirt and mud, but that dirt and mud actually dampened the impact of enemy artillery. Hence, why airburst rounds became so common because they realized like, hmm. The fucking mud is right. absorbing this. Uh, but on the Italian front, shells were slamming into cliffs and rocks. Um, and, like, soldiers couldn't really dig in. So they're, like, not exactly great trench systems to hide in. So shells would just explode on the, the boulders and the rocks and the, 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 the rot and, like, the, the gravel and the mountainsides and shit. And it would actually create more shrapnel to woo them with rather than less. Um, this meant... Well, all I can think about is like every time I like drove through like the Rockies and there was just the signs that say like, you know, falling rocks or something like that. Like that's something that you can actually adjust for. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and like, according to right. historian John Keegan, shell fire in the rocky terrain inflicted 70% more casualties fired per round than they did anywhere else during the war. So it's not good. Um, it's like... <laughs> Try to like smoke a cigarette or take a shit, and you get waylaid by a fucking rock flying through the air. <laughs> it only took a few months for of of, of this uh, kind of war for the Italian soldiers and the civilians at home to outwardly turn against the war effort. Signs of refusal to show up to conscription offices began in 1915, the same year that Italy entered the war. Whereas even uh, 
in the beginning when the war was still unpopular, at least 90% of people would still report to their conscription offices on time like they're supposed to. After like the, the honeymoon phase of the glories of war wore off, that number plummeted dramatically and keep plummeting until the end of the war, until at one point less than half of men showed up to their conscription office on time. I mean, how are you going to find me? Like, <laughs> I, I always think, I mean, you always think about, like, if you tried to disappear, like, if you tried to, like, you know, um, you know, just disappear off the off the map or something, now, in 2020, it's, like, impossible because you can't open up a bank account without some sort of identity. But, like, 1915, I'm sure it's just, like, I'm just going to go to that village over there and go, hey, a lot, and then... <laughs> Instead of, you know, Mario, I'm going to be Luigi now. And then that's it. Like, I can't imagine. Just, like, just go over there and just, you know, start planting, you know, be a farmer there. Get a job over there. And everybody will just, like, assume that there's, that you're just a new guy and you're just gone. Yeah. Like, it, it, it boggles my mind that, that, that anybody would be caught in 1915. Although, to be fair, my, my grandfather um, was... So he was drafted for World War One as well, but he was drafted like he got his well, his draft card was sent like right when World War One ended, right after Armistice. Yeah. So the mail carrier was just like, oh, I'm not going to drop these off uh, because the war is over. So he wasn't delivering draft cards. <laughs> so, so the mailman went to jail for not delivering the mail. But when they come, came, they came to my grandpa. And they're just like, "Well, you didn't, you know, you didn't show up." And he's just like, "I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. What draft cards?" And but they were just like, "Oh, like nobody, nobody in this neighborhood got a draft card." <laughs> and it turns out the it turns out the mailman was doing practice. It was like, "No, nah, fuck that. Don't go to war." Well, like it, Good it guy, just makes you think of like all like the uh, like I remember like Joe talking about like Russians showing the you know conscription and like the. Um, you know, 1970s, 1980s, like, whatever else. And, like, there's not, you know, there wasn't really a system then, and you can only imagine, like, you know, that's, like, the Soviet Union in, like, the 70s and the 80s, you know, like, you know, trying to send people off to Afghanistan. You can only imagine if it was uh, in, you know, the, you know, 19-teens, and it was, you know, a, a fresh, like, Italian country that never existed before, and they're trying to, like, get people to show up. Like, yeah, it's that's just not why they, like a lot of places just resort to why is that military aged man not in the military as he's like going about the day. He's like, ah, arrest him. Uh, like a million, yeah. like millions of Italians dodged the draft, and like half a million people would eventually be charged for doing it. Yeah, uh, I mean, like my so uh, some people, like my my uncle dodged the fuck out of the draft in Vietnam. You know, that's like he just choice. like like he was like the fuck out of there. He went to like he because uh, he was in uh, Seattle. He went to British Columbia. It's actually where he met like my now aunt. Uh, you know, like he went over there. But like, it's like one of those things where, like, I don't know. I I get the. I would just get the fuck away. Like, you know, no one's gonna tell. No one's. Yeah. Gonna, I mean, even like uh, I know for a lot of civilian folks in uh, World War Two, they would give essential workers essentially like a military rank. Like that's what happened to my grandfather. Because how he ended up in the Coast Guard, because he ended up in a like a very essential military job. It was just one of those things where he, uh, you know, he looked vaguely military age. And so they just gave him a rank to, like, make him, you know, so, like, no one, like, no one. no. That's, you know what? That sounds better than how we get captains. Yeah, now. I mean, that yeah, was essentially what it was. Fair. It was like, 
just like you. You your clothes look fancy. Do you want to be a captain? Yeah. <laughs> it was like you're do- you're doing essential job, and we don't want people to egg you. So do you want to be a chief? All right, cool. You're a chief now. I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm gonna start rating people's fits like just like what by what military rank would I give them? Like if you if you've like decked out in all Adidas, you get to be a sergeant. If you're <laughs> just like wearing. If you're wearing a corn T-shirt and some like baggy jeans, you're a private. Uh, if if you're you know if you're, if you're wearing a, a, a popped collared shirt and uh, and boat shoes and salmon pants, then you're obviously a lieutenant. <laughs> like, very easy to do this. Uh, yeah, like I, I guess I'd probably definitely I w- I would probably still be a specialist. Like yeah, I'd be up and down like specialist, wearing gym clothes I, all the I'd time. Dra- Oh yeah, I dress. I mean, I have. I know with with COVID, everybody's been talking. I had to like actually coach people at my work through uh, through having to stay at home because so many of them, like at the beginning, were just like, "I've never had to do this. I've never had to work from home." And by that time, I had been working from home for like four years. <laughs> so I was just like, I was talking to one some to one lady. I was like, "Now look, I fixed your computer and everything, and we were just talking about staying at home." As like, when's the last time you showered? And I'm not saying that in a gross HR way. Literally, when's the last time you, you showered? Can you remember right now? And there was a pause, and she's like, I can't. I said, okay, please go take a shower and put on pants. Because I know you're not wearing... You're, I know you're wearing the pants you slept in, too. Don't I'm do not that. wearing pants right now, so... <laughs> yeah, but if- I have... I have really... I really embraced uh, male yoga pants, which I guess are just joggers. Yeah. I mean, uh, Joe, you were an E4, so like you probably never wore pants while you were in. Not if I could help it, no. Um, and when I wore pants, I tore giant holes in them on accident. Um, so one of the things, like, you know, if you weren't smart enough to dodge the draft or say you were like, you know, it can't be that bad or whatever, and you found out, like, you fucked around and found out that the army's terrible, uh, desertion and self-mutilation became incredibly common. Um, punishment for desertion was m- much more likely and over a hundred thousand people were charged for it, um, but also it was kind of easy to get caught mutilating yourself, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, <laughs> rather than looking at other factors that may have caused this, Cadorna once again blamed discipline. Rules became more and more strict. Letters were he- heavily censored, and soldiers were beaten if censors thought their letters home did not make a, did not include a certain amount of excitement about the war. Um, <laughs> Cadorna cracked down on anything he considered detrimental to the army's success, which you'll come to be probably not surprised at this point, was pretty much anything um, that, like, his actions directly caused. Uh, Like, some people have argued that this bordered on a paranoia, and I would kind of have to agree at this point. Like, newspapers, banned. Um, If you were caught with anything that could be considered, like, socialists, uh, I don't know, zines, newsletters, uh, propaganda, you'd probably be executed. Um, things like that. Uh, now, morale began to plummet due to a constant offensive censorship Good. and the realities of trench warfare. Cracks began to form pretty quickly, and Cadorna attempted to fill those cracks with more punishment. Um, e- even though it's minuscule punishment, uh, like even though it's minuscule rule breaking, uh, like the lowest level punishment you're going to get was a flogging. Uh, soldiers who went AWOL were sentenced to death, as were soldiers who were treated without orders. Minor insubordination was also a death sentence, even just when coming back from leave a little bit late. 
And to be clear, insubordination is a very easy charge to catch because the Italian military is very rigidly centralized. So if you're a journey leader and you, you cut off, couldn't communicate because remember this is the 1900s, communication is terrible. And like, you know, we're already out here assaulting this objective. We need to think on our feet. Those weren't the orders. That's insubordination. Yeah. Uh, soon, even writing some shitty words about your superior, like when like we all wrote shitty things in porter potties about like the lieutenant or whatever, death sentence. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe this was the uh, the original you know writing dicks and your commander's name uh, on Portageon, like because you couldn't you couldn't like talk about it, you couldn't write letters like uh. He's a big jerk, jackass, but like you could draw a dick on a port of John. Yeah, start out as ZD. <laughs> like it's uh, everything is a death sentence. It's like either that or military prison, and it's a long military prison, which you also could you'll probably just die of cholera or starvation in. Um, now, Cadorna seemed not to differentiate between enlisted and officers when it came to handing out death sentences for the most part. But if you were a senior officer. Same. You're going to skip death sentences, but you, he was very quick to fire people. An officer or other people other than him that failed, you know, like he was failing at literally everything he ever did. However, if you were not Cadorna and failed, uh, like during an attack or you know, he just didn't think that you uh, didn't execute the order as he thought it should have been, you'd be immediately fired. There was like no learning opportunity here. So over the course of the war, he would fire 200 senior leaders and an unknown number of junior leaders. This led to another self-feeding loop. Officers of any level of education knew Cadorna's plans weren't working. But if they vo- voiced their opposition anyway, they'd find themselves put up on a charge of insubordination and shot or fired, ruining their careers or killing them. So rather than working together to come up with better plans, or to like, they would just choose to save their own careers and maybe their lives, they'd be forced to go along with the plans they knew would fail. These would fail and either kill them or get them fired anyway. This led to, but eventually created a cadre of very inexperienced yes-men who are leading soldiers into battle in some of the worst train of the entire war. Cool. What, whatever happened to just shooting your own officers? Like, so, well, he wasn't like, in the I'm, trench I'm with not them. Saying, I'm, he wasn't like, you're not, you're not going to frag Cadorna. He's like the commander of the entire army. He's not hanging out in the trench with you. Somebody, somebody's got to. Well, I guess he's only... He, he's only Interacting with his yes man. Yeah, like he's not doing tours of the trenches. Um, and like he did every once in a while, but there's like way more pictures of him like visiting French trench lines rather than his own. I think he knew. <laughs> like I think he knew some fucking conscript might pot him in the back of the head. Um, this is made worse by the fact that Italian trenches were garbage. Um, the, this led to like you had to dig into what you could dig into. This being boulders and rocks. So they'd require special drills or explosives to dig into them, which Cadorna never met, bothered to get, because why do we need trenches when we're always supposed to be attacking? Remember when I said the Austrians had the high ground? Well, they still did, and they could see the entire Italian trench system, or but there was of one. This meant when the Italians weren't constantly attacking, they were well within range of Austrian snipers. The Austrians also constantly assaulted the trenches with artillery day and uh, by day and searchlights by night. Meaning no matter what the Italians did, they'd be unable to sleep and always have some kind of enemy fucking with them. And, um, you know, like, I've talked about it a little bit before. Um, 
that like normally frontline forces would rotate out. So you'd be at the front for like a week, rotate to the reserve trench, rotate and like so you wouldn't you're not like stuck at the front line for for a long period of time. The Italians did not do that. Like you were just kind of like in for the in for the stretch. Yeah, which is why a lot of people began breaking down. Um, and so as I've noticed before, or as I've said before, sorry, um, Italian officers didn't even want to like, uh, like they, the, the Italian officers themselves were falling apart at the seams because they weren't really in command of anything. And morale began to implode even among them. One noted they didn't even want to assemble a defensive action when, some, when they heard the Austrians were attacking them, but only did so because he didn't think the Austrians deserved the compliment of being the ones to beat them. This brings us to the hopeless attacks up into the rocks into the Austrian positions. Thousands of Italians were ordered into battle constantly, nearly all of them pointless. Like most battles in World War I and most dudes who lie in bars in order to get laid, victory was measured in, in inches. Troopers were what massacred. Up, up, up. Hey! <laughs> hey! <laughs> uh, troopers were massacred in large numbers, but the first people to break were not the Italians but the Austrians. Austrian machine gun uh, machine gunners, having killed so many people, began to mentally break down. They, during one <laughs> offensive, they stopped shooting at the oncoming Italians, shouting, stop, please go back. We won't shoot anymore. And do you all want to die? <laughs> it's incredible. Um, the, the Austrians... This is, this, is, uh, this is Dan Brannigan sending wave upon wave of... Uh, humans at the at the rampaging killbots because they have a, a preset of uh, 50,000 50, people they kill. Here. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, Austrians have a preset kill them and they'll eventually just shut down. Um, after this, the Austrians actually let the yep. Italians collect all their dead and wounded and slowly go back to their own line without shooting at them. After this, the Austrians began rotating out their gunners a bit more, so slaughtering the Italian troops didn't weigh so heavily on them. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> the Italians didn't actually care about their own soldiers seemingly as much as the Austrians did. Um, but after breaking one too many times, Cadorna had uh, machine guns placed behind his own troops with orders to fire on them should they retreat without orders. Um, this is actually like more of like most people when you when you talk about something like that they think of like the Soviet Union during World War One or we're sorry World War Two and the barrier troops and those did exist but um, I I have a feeling that the Italians were actually used much more um, but I'm not even sure what that sound effect is is that the powering up that's the, that that's the 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 hurry up your your time is running out. <laughs> Uh, now, I know I've talked about morale collapsing into a pile of shit on a few occasions here, but this is where things get really, really bad. Uh, troops began maiming themselves at such a level that Italian military doctors began to learn how to uh, like find out what people have been doing it because they began to note powder burns on their skin. The telltale sh the sign that they shot themselves at point-blank range. Fuck. So, <laughs> and if you, were, if you were caught doing that, you'd be executed. Uh, so soldiers began making deals with their friends to shoot them instead. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not too hard to be like, oh well, hey man, you you can hit a target, right? I've seen you out at the range. Can you just like put one in my shoulder? <laughs> but it like I need it in about a ten. I'll give you the jalapeno cheese from my MRE if you fucking put one in my foot. <laughs> or the um, uh, the jal the jalapeno ziti. 
Yeah. Uh, now, one of the most famous cases is uh, one that happened to the Catanzaro Brigade, which took place in the Santa Maria Lalongo area in July 1917. The soldiers had been fighting nonstop for months without rest. After their last battle, they were promised a rest period. The men were exhausted, and um, like for a long time, their leave had been suspended, which was also like another punishment. Cadorna would just uh, sit on whole units that he thought were underperforming. So, like, they weren't going on leave. They weren't going to rest in reserve trenches, which is another punishment they had. Um, they had been dealing with the difficult uh, conditions in trenches, uh, leaving uh, a lot of their dead and wounded behind. And the ones that were still alive, uh, like their feet were like shredded. They were starving to death. Um, and after a few days, instead of being moved to a quieter area, which they had been promised, they were ordered to once again resume a march up the road that led back to the front. That is when soldiers and officers of the brigade rebelled and began shooting their superiors and soldiers that uh, these soldiers, which were MPs, uh, had been brought with them in order to enforce the orders. The only thing that stopped the uprising was the Italian military stopping the offensive and turning their artillery against their own soldiers. Um, When it was all over, all the soldiers looked down and were just like, wait a minute, we have guns. (laughs) <laughs> let's just shoot like we're gonna die anyway we might as well shoot what, that fucking asshole what if we used our guns yeah <laughs> right if right like i i i know again you know this is 19 uh 1915 italy so i don't know what the uh how, how these people how their brains work on this but uh if I'm just like, man, if I come back from leave, I'm going to get shot. I'm just going to start shooting people myself. Yeah, I'm going to try to see how many I can take down with me. Though it is hard to get your hands in the trigger well when you have to do the Italian hand thing. <laughs> uh, and, like, to be fair, officers did this with them. This was not just an enlisted thing. Like, lieutenants and captains like, yeah, fuck that. Um, <laughs> like I said, the only thing that stopped them was being artillery striked by their own artillery. Uh, and the punishment for this... Cadorna reached all the way back in Italian history, all the way to Rome, and resurrected the old punishment that was rarely used even in Rome, decimation. Oh, wait, wait. What? Decimation? Nice. For people who are unaware, decimation is a removal of the tenth. That means one out of every ten soldiers will be killed at random by their their co-soldiers. Out of 123 soldiers that were brought up on courts martial for the rebellion... Twelve soldiers were chosen at random and then executed by firing squad by their compatriots. Yeah, I mean, so this is slightly better than the Roman times. So if, if your unit was sentenced to decimation in Rome, they would not let you use your weapons. They You had to be beaten to death with rocks. So at least they just let them get shot. <laughs> Italy failed at almost every level during the war, but some of the most egregious fuck-ups were some of the most basic things. Italian soldiers were reduced to hunting rats in the trenches for food, and people noticed they, quote, looked like scarecrows. This is something uh, that was a little bit more common for the Central Powers uh, soldiers of the war, especially with Germany and the Austro-Hungarian Empire, crippled by alliance blockades. Like, uh, Germany at one point had, like, the winter of the turnip, because there was, yeah, like... But- that was like 17 to 18 or what is like something like that. Where it was it like was, a man-made they, famine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like they essentially just had like no food left, like in the fucking German empire, like whatsoever. Tens of thousands of children starved to death uh, in Germany during the war because of how like locked in that shit was. Um, and like this, 
this is weird for Italy because the the rest of the Entente knows that Italy is fucking weak as shit, and they have to prop them up by pouring tons of aid and supplies, which includes you know weapons, artillery, uh, machine guns, all the things that they're lacking, but also food. But still, somehow. Italian soldiers are starving because one of the more, most basic punishments they have is cutting the rations. <laughs> it should be noted, uh, Cadorna was fat, so like he had a bit of a gut on him. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so um, while all this was going on, it was pretty obvious that like I, I keep saying how bad off the Italians were, and they were. But the Austrians were even worse off. Um, the Austrians were the most inept militaries of the entire war. A product of an inept government and like all of this is grinding them down to nothing um and like also the austrians didn't even have a reserve army uh at the time uh so like they were burning the candle at both ends and germany had to come bail them out um and, and like it did who who did have a good army germany in world war germany I? actually had one of the best germany, armies okay. of the war that uh found itself allying with the weakest fucking people in europe and then fighting everyone else <laughs> um like they allied themselves with the ottoman empire which drew away the resources they allied themselves with the austro-hungarian empire which drew away the resources um and then found themselves fighting britain france russia the united states uh japan everybody else so like there's a good chance that maybe Germany beats Russia, maybe Germany beats the uh, the UK, but not everybody at once. Um, well, well, right, not, not, well, that was the whole thing from like you know like the I mean, you know I mean I know that the the scholarship on the World War One still kind of has a uh, you know divided uh, uh, divided scholarship as to whether or not you know like Germany could defeated one or the other, but uh, I think essentially like the scholarship at this point is that they. You know, if they'd actually been able to defeat Russia and then been able to turn everything to France and Britain, they probably would have been able to like seal the deal. Maybe it's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, the Eastern Front cost them a lot of people, but there's also, uh, I think, um, once static warfare takes over, there was no way that anybody was going to win in what we consider a traditional victory. Um, yeah. Though, and- I mean, like you know, there were a couple times that they were like really within striking distance of Paris at that point. Yeah, yeah, it, it very, it, it, there was very close calls, and then things stopped moving. <laughs> yeah, um, that's fair. So, while all this is going on, Germany's like, fuck, we have to relieve some pressure off Austria, they're gonna get knocked out of the war. Um, and that is where we um, go into the end of Cadorna's tenure as one of the worst commanders of the war, um, as... Uh, at the 12th Battle of the Asanzo, otherwise known as the Battle of Caporetto. Uh, the Austrians, while besting the Italians, like I said, was in competition for one of the worst armies of the war, and they couldn't completely rout Cadorna either. So, like, they... The Austrians had accomplished as much as they were also going to accomplish on their own at this point, which is not losing. <laughs> and uh, Cadorna's offensives had been largely pointless, but the Austrians were slowly losing ground, and not to mention losing the ability to just keep up fighting the war. Uh, there was a lot of um, unrest at home. The Austro-Hungarian Empire was pretty fucking weak governmentally. So the, like the dual monarchies that were pulling apart from one another, not great. So, okay, so even with everything happening, Louis Cordona or Luigi Cordona is still technically winning. Kind of. He is technically winning, <laughs> which makes him technically correct. The best kind of correct. 
like, <laughs> like not necessarily winning like in uh, in a war of attrition, obviously, but like the fact that he is he is fighting uh, the the Austrians and they're getting whittled away in some way, and it's like just you know it, in 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 a different war they just get steamrolled, but it's just like ah uh, we just. We have to fight these idiots before, we, and we can't go do anything else because we have to fight the dumb people over here. Yeah, if if, um, if Italy was just fighting uh, Austro-Hungary, probably would have won. Um, like, because Austro-Hungary uh, Austro-Hungary was had a, a, a commander arguably more inept than Cadorna, and a guy named uh, Conrad von Holzenklaw, Holzenklaw, I think. Um, <laughs> Holzenklaw, uh, Comrade von Holzenklaw, and uh, Comrade, <laughs> Conrad, yeah, um, Conrad. I think I fucked his name up, and I'm gonna get called out for it. Uh, no, Conrad von Holzendorf. Sorry. Yeah, all, all those people have been uh, really relying on lines led by donkeys for their correct pronunciation for the last like couple years. Yeah, it, 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 I just any anybody like that, I just uh, go with Doctor Doofenshmirtz yeah, from uh, like Phineas and Ferb. Uh, uh, Holzendorf, his his full name was actually Honkball Hufdeklas, um, <laughs> and uh, he he was incredibly stupid, very bad at his job. Got his fucking Austrian army owned by Serbia of all people. Uh, he was never going to win a war, um, but to their credit, Austria fired him after a while. Uh, at this point, Cordona has kind of shot himself in the dick repeatedly to the point that Italy is about to fall apart, and he still has a job. Uh, but the Austrians about ready to be knocked out of the war. <laughs> that, that's the shooting yourself in the dick song. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, at this point, Germany knew if they didn't help Austria, Austria was going to get fucked. So they sent seven divisions uh, into the Italian front to help them. Now, this was not going to be a battle. They're not like, we're going to send them down there to knock Italy out of the war. We're just there to, like, give them some breathing room. Uh, as their forces are put on Austrian lines, Italian recon planes notice them, and it was reported to, uh, to uh, Cadorna. Italian intelligence also revealed the date, time, and location of the coming offensive actions. All of the things that one probably needs to adequately prepare for such an action. You know, like, dig in. Instead... He didn't do anything uh, other than push back the date of his next planned offensive. Um, and the Italian lines were still much of the same way as they'd always been before, lacking a de- defense in depth strategy, which at this point war is just standard. Um, and like, every other trench bound force at this point had already had like, if you take one trench, the trench behind it will then start shooting at you and then can launch a counterattack, retake the first trench. Um, and yeah. Italy didn't have that. Even worse, their lines were so close together at some points that artillery was uh, like, and uh, and their artillery was super close to the front line, meaning any incoming artillery would actually just be able to knock out everything all at once. And um, if you look at like an aerial map of the trenches, which like the Germans could do because they had aerial reconnaissance, there was like one specific crossing point that they somehow managed to knit all of their trench works through. So, like, the Germans knew if they, if they took, like, this one crossroads, we could literally cut their trench in half and nobody can support each other. It, it, was like the, it, it was like if you purposely designed the worst thing that you possibly could fight out of is what they did. Like, 
<laughs> like Achilles going into the Trojan War and just saying, like, look at my Achilles heel. Like, look at the, like, look <laughs> at my like heel. Ankles. Like, you know, whatever. It, right, like in like in a video game, it's a, his ankles are just flashing. Yes. Just your flashing bits. Like, that's yeah, where everybody's this like, is a boss that's where you fight. hit with your sword, and then you'll yeah, be this good. is a boss fight, and the tre- this one specific trench line is glowing red. Um, <laughs> and uh, to Cadorna's credit, he did order his subordinates to take defensive postures along the line in preparation for this attack, but he didn't give them any details on what exactly that meant and what they were supposed to do. Now, if you remember cool. earlier, how I said how sh- just go over there and be sol- do soldiery things. Yeah, yeah, go do army shit. I mean, Here's I, a problem though. He had created. A I assume culture. that's how both of you people operate. Like I, I like I, I just assume that's like the ground pounder thing. Yeah, just go over there and do army stuff and don't bother yeah. me. Yeah, the problem is that he created a culture where you couldn't just do stuff. Like, you had you had to have strict orders. These orders would have timetables. This is the time it's supposed to happen at. This is the time it should be done by. But when you're just like, ah, take defensive postures, everybody just kind of freaked out. Like, he created a, a cadre of yes-men. And if you don't listen to my every detail, I'll fucking shoot you. Which creates one hell of an atmosphere of command. This meant his units had no idea what to do. So many of them simply didn't do anything or change their normal routine, fearful of what would happen to them if they did. Other officers did come up with their own plans, but because uh, they didn't have the same plans as the guy next to them, uh, this meant any future defense would lack any cohesion because every unit would be fighting for themselves. Though some people, like General Luigi Capello, I know, there's another Luigi, Use this lack of orders to just deploy his soldiers offensively anyway. His plan was, like all of the others, like, this attack will fail. All of our attacks fail, so all of theirs will probably fail. And when that occurs, they always counterattack us. So I want to do that to them. Uh, at which point, we'll chase them all the way back to their lines and take them over, right? Because that worked so well before. So even though Capello knows that there's an offensive coming, he still deploys his soldiers to prepare to go over the top of the trenches, meaning they're all in the forward trenches and not in dugouts. This is all going to become important and bad. Um, I do not know what that was. (laughs) That was Luigi, apparently. (laughs) Also, the lack of orders meant that uh, the few in-depth lines that they had, because they have dug some back there. Like, there's, there's three total... The first line of reserves was the second line total and the third line of reserves. Uh, but because there were no concrete orders or defensive posture in place, they were unmanned. And the reserves were in the front line, had no support weapons of their own. So if like you sent the reserves up forward, hypothetically, they're supposed to be able to support themselves. Because, you know, at this point, everything else has collapsed and you send the reserves. Not possible. They have no machine guns and no artillery of their own. So they, have no, they effectively have no reserves. Uh, this total lack of command and control by someone who ruled as a dictator was so bad in some places that it's almost as if he did it on purpose. In one situation, there's a pivotal road that led to the from the front line all the way to the rear, like where like Cadorno was commanding from. It was considered incredibly important uh, in a defensive role. <laughs> nice. Oh God. Oh. <laughs> it's Himbo Luigi. It's sexy Luigi. Uh Luigi's going to give somebody a mustache ride before all this is over. <laughs> so they like they knew this road was incredibly important. The Germans also knew this road was incredibly important, right? Uh, so if you're <laughs> if you're commanding this kind of 
defensive procedure, you need to think like, okay, no matter what happens, we need to hold this road, right? Um, if like losing this road means that the front line and all reserve trenches and the commander, uh, the commanding area would all be cut off from one another. So you'd assume that this would be like defended by landmines, razor wire, brigades of soldiers. It was actually defended by one company of soldiers at the very front line and then one platoon further back uh, that were that was under strength and only had about 28 people in it. After that, there was nothing. Wait, so so how many people do they have coming down on them right now? Oh, 100,000 plus. <laughs> um, to the credit of a few Italian commanders, they did point out this weakness to Cadorna, who said, oh, you're right, promised reinforcements, who then never showed up. Nice. Um, All of this is a recipe for a massive fuck-up of colossal proportions when the Italians came up against one of the best armies of the war in Imperial Germany. Their tactics had been quite advanced in comparison to the other two people in this fight. Their weapons had been a little bit better, and their soldiers were all better trained, better led, and better fed than the Austrians. Uh, The Germans planned what, at this point in 1970, would be a very normal offensive in the Western Front. Uh, a calculated, concentrated artillery bombardment with conventional munitions and gas, uh, poison gas, followed by an infiltration attack on it, that same very specific part of the line to achieve a breakthrough. So, like, there would be an artillery strike going on and on and on, but as this is happening, soldiers would be pushing up at the same spot. Oh, God, there's another sexy Luigi. <laughs> uh, why is it anime Luigi? <laughs> God, um, I hate it so much. Um, so, like, people think that this it just, Carrie it just looks like you're the sand, you're you're the meat between the uh, Mario Brothers sandwich I'm here. The, I'm just the turkey between the white bread. Uh, here the day after Thanksgiving. It's fine. The old pig roast. Um, <laughs> like this would look like a simple human wave attack, but it actually wasn't. It was considered very advanced for the time, and, and Italy had. No means to stop this. From the outset, the Italian soldiers began to panic. They had so far been spared gas attacks that would have been commonplace in the West since 1915. And because of that, they simply didn't have gas masks. And the ones who did, (laughs) did not have uh, ones that were up to date that could protect them from phosgene, which is what the Germans used. The Italian artillery uh, barely fired a shot in, in response because nobody was giving them any orders. So they just kind of sat there. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. His fursuit Luigi? Why is... Just be glad this is the angle we're seeing. Why is from. Luigi so thick? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hang out right here. I don't see that be an issue. Uh, you know, the, the people that are listening to this episode are on our normal SoundCloud... <laughs> are going to be missing out, but also they're lucky. Um, so yeah, the Foz gene shells uh, just like eight Italians alive because they had no gas mask that could protect them. Um, and then the Italian uh, artillery didn't even attempt a counter battery because nobody told them to. So they just kind of sat there and got poison gassed. Um, and then by the time that the Italian artillery commander attempted to do something on his own, the Germans were attacking him directly, so they lost the guns. The Italian soldiers ran from the gas and the Germans attacked using flamethrowers and hand grenades, two things that the Italians were not used to. Almost immediately, the Italian line crumbled completely without fighting. 
Small groups of Italians attempted to fight, but without support. <laughs> Aw, womp womp. That's a dead Italian sound. <laughs> uh, but small groups of, it of Italian soldiers, either with orders to stand their ground or no clear way of retreating, or without orders to retreat and afraid to be shot by the military police, uh, they continue to fight on, but without support and unable to communicate with one another. Um, so there was like small little pockets of resistance that would eventually just be snuffed out one by one. There was also some key bridges that needed to be blown to stop the German and Austrian advance, but they were never wired for detonation, while others were, and they were blown far too early, trapping entire divisions on the other side. In one case, a bridge was blown while an entire Italian division was attempting to cross it. <laughs> Retreating soldiers who still held the rifles were turned around at gunpoint by the Italian military police and forced back to the into the collapsing front. Soldiers noticed that the MPs were letting unarmed soldiers keep retreating, though. So soon they were just tossing away their weapons so they could flee as fast as they can in order to escape the battle. Luigi Cadorna himself finally left his command bunker, leaving the entire Italian 2nd Army to die on the battlefield as he escaped. So, so... <laughs> what, what's, his, what's his body count at by this point? That, like, soldiers have died under his command? Yeah. Uh, well, at the... At, so we'll talk a little bit uh, at what his numbers might look like at the, at the end of the Battle of Caporetto. Okay. The attack, like I said, was only supposed to relieve pressure on the Austrians, and instead the German assault broke the back of the Ita entire Italian army. It was like that military version of... <laughs> it was the military version of that last thing that the camel could no longer take. It was that last straw that broke the camel's back. And the Italian army melted in the face of it. A quarter of a million Italian soldiers surrendered. Um... And the German soldiers remarked that it was the first time that they, during a battle that the enemy soldiers eagerly surrendered to them without firing a shot in defense. Another <laughs> 50,000 deserted, and another 300,000 just ran in every which way in order to save themselves. They call them stragglers. Like, it's going to take, like, months for them to show back up because they just run for their life. Uh, and another 13,000 were killed. And if you look at the numbers, that is a shocking amount of, shockingly few amount of dead people for this battle. Yeah, I was going to say, 300,000 that just ran in random directions versus 13,000 yeah. dead. Like that's, like that's like if there's like a, a, a bee swarm and you shoot a shotgun through it. It's like, you kill some of them. But, <laughs> I mean, still, all those bees, there's still lots of bees left, man. There's still a lot of bees going on. And there was on. like tens of thousands of wounded, a lot of them from phosgene gas. Um, and everything the Italian army had done... Uh, over the years of the war, the, everything they've accomplished for this war had been undone in a week of fighting, and they were pushed within a three hundred, sorry, thirty kilometers of Venice. Um, the only reason they stopped, like the Germans stopped their advance, is because their troops had simply tired themselves out and outran their own supply line. Because they didn't expect, like, holy shit, we're all the way here. Uh, like they didn't expect that. Once the running stopped, Cadorna did everything he could to blame his own soldiers. He blamed communists and subversives within the ranks of the army for betraying their nation, and he encouraged the government to let them expel them from the army, which we can all assume that that just means shooting them. Um, and Cadorna said all of these things publicly, 
and a fair amount of people agreed with him. Um, I don't have to point out to anybody listening that this is actually bullshit, and there's zero evidence to suggest that the communists were the reason that the Italian army collapsed. It also happened to be one of the arguments put forward by a guy named Benito Mussolini on the massive failures of the Italian army during the war, like their version of the stab in the back theory. Wait, and that wait, wait. this is he? This, this is this this is Hillary all over again. So no, it's the it's the damn socialist. That's why that's why Hillary Clinton didn't win. The, so the, who who was the who was the Benito Mussolini Susan Sarandon? Uh, uh, Antonio Gramsci. <laughs> uh, and like one of the like uh, an inter- interesting part is the Ottomans did something like this at the Battle of Sarakamish, where they blamed the Armenians. Uh, so, which led to like the genocide is like the the Armenians are two faced, like it's a stab in the back for them as well. Um, so, like, and that was like that kind of belief survived and was like glommed onto by fascists uh, to give a reason for their a- abject failure. Uh, and one of the groups that knew this was bullshit. Uh, was none other than the German Empire themselves, who passed out and dropped leaflets that said, Italians, Italians, General Cadorna's communication on October 28th opened your eyes to the enormous catastrophe that has hit your army. At this moment, so grave for your nation, your general has turned to a strange expedient in order to explain the disaster. He has the audacity to accuse the army that has followed his orders to staunch uselessness and desperate attacks many times. This is what you get in return for your valor. You have spilled your blood in many battles. Your enemy does not deny you the respect owed to uh, valorous adversaries. And your general has dishonored you. He insults you to save himself. The Germans said this. And like nowadays it would just be like a leaflet would just have a a, uh, a screenshot of whatever tweet Cadorna put out with like owned. (laughs) Just like that would be the entirety. Like that would be the contents. Cadorna would just say the numbers lie and he's being, and the battle's rigged! It's rigged! <laughs> yeah. It would just be, nowadays it would just be a quote tweet with uh, with clapping Nancy Pelosi uh, or something. How, man, how, propaganda back then, man, it really just hit different. Like, I, I would feel inspired by that. Like, you couldn't, I, I, and I don't know, you know, certainly we all fall to propaganda, but like, just... I love I love propaganda that assumes I'm smart. At the time, it assumes I'm stupid. So when you use when you use a bunch of uh, fancy early 1900 words and and really pretty it up a little bit, I feel like oh these these Germans they care about me. They want me to to not die. They don't want to machine gun me in the well, face. I mean, yeah, I would just think that it, it would just be like school idea of war, where it's like a gentlemanly thing uh, that war yeah. is, and it's fun and good actually. So, like the idea that um, the enemy commander—I mean, a lot—I think a lot of this is like the Germans, like, wait, if we believe or if they believe that the army is this much of a fuck up, that takes away from our win because you know they yeah, completely shatter them at Caporetto, um, and this is what finally got the government to fire Luigi Cadorna. Um, but that only happened because like France and Britain were like, you have to fucking fire this guy. Like we can only give you so much. And that's like one of the reasons why that after Caporetto, more and more supplies are poured in, but also so were allied soldiers, including, uh, Americans eventually like, they're like, Jesus Christ, for the love of God, fucking fire that guy. We can't keep propping him up. (laughs) Um, the Italian army then came under the command of Armando Diaz uh, and showed himself 
capable of not only winning a battle, but crushing the Austrian army at the Battle of, of Vittorino Veneto uh, and knocking them out of the war completely. Uh, like, and this is within months of taking command of the army. The same, like he, so he takes he he takes like a broken, shattered Italian army that's like been running scared and getting fucked up, you know, all war one way or the other, and it's like either if the enemy's not going to shoot you, like somebody next to you might, right. and he's just like, hey, what's up, motherfuckers? Let's go, let, let's go kill some Austro-Hungarians. You go to the left, and you go to the right, and then you do a pincer movement. They're like, holy shit, this man is Sun Tzu. Yeah, like, <laughs> let's, let's fucking do it. It's funny, when the first things that Diaz did was, like, outlaw um, corporal punishment, outlaw capital punishment, um, like, he, he uh, discontinued decimation, which, now, there's, um, the, the account that I uh, brought up with the rebellion uh, is the only confirmed account of Cadorna using decimation against a unit, but there is a rumor that he employed it against the remnants of the Italian Second Army when they retreated from Caporetto. There's a lot of first-hand accounts, but nothing's for sure. Like, it's not, um, like, the what happened to the other unit, the Cotton Zaro Brigade or whatever, uh, like, that's actually noted in Italian uh, military legal history documents. There's no, there's nothing noted for the other one, but a lot of people say like, no, no, we fucking saw that happen as we were running away. As if they were just shooting people at random. But the idea is like, yeah, we're not going to fucking do that anymore. Um, and that like immediately made morale grow like incredible, like fast enough where it's enough to beat the Austrians and knock them out of the war. Oh, weird. Um, like not just like randomly shooting like every 12th man, like made morale grow. Who would have known? Yeah. Weird how that happens. Wh- who could have said? You know, and it's interesting. Um, a government investigation was put in, like was launched into the outcome of Caporetto that squarely put the blame all on Cadorna, who just kept blaming communists. Um, and uh, <laughs> Diaz commented publicly later that fighting the battle, uh, fighting a war with the army that he took over from uh, Cadorna was like trying to fight a battle with a sword that had no blade uh, because he had fucking ruined it so badly. Unfortunately, post-war, Cadorna and Diaz both became ardent fascists. Um, <laughs> of course, I mean, we, we know Cordona already was on the, right. the fascism train. Yeah, um, and uh, they were both promoted by Mussolini to Marshal of Italy post-retirement, which might be the least surprising thing that's happened so far. Uh, they were also like uh, 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 like cornerstones to the, the mythos. They call them Lions of the Fatherland. Um, and where Mussolini is like, see, look, they fought because like Mussolini fought World War One too, and there's like, yeah, it was totally the communists of why we got our shit stomped in for so long. Um, yeah, they blamed uh, socialists, communists, and trade unionists uh, for their version of the stab in the back. Uh, though they both died in the mid 1920s before they could watch their country trip over their own deck and get owned in another war. But we do have one bright spot: Cadorna's son. Raffaele Cadorna Jr. was an officer in the Italian army during World War II. Flipped on Mussolini's bitch ass and worked with the OSS and partisans to kick the Germans out and eventually kill Mussolini's bitch ass and hang him upside down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's there's always, a little, always a little bit of sun redemption there. Yeah, you got you to take when you so can get it, what man. what you hope for. So... Do you, maybe Don Jr. will like suicide bomb Christmas uh, with the family or something. We can just be like, finally, man. We did it. 
we we won the war on Christmas with a martyrdom operation. Um, Inshallah. So, in in Santala, uh, we do a little thing <laughs> on this show, gentlemen, called Questions from the Legion. And this is the first time we have a live audience. It's now 64 people. And I'm going to go on a, uh, a stretch and say if we were doing this in real, like, real live, like in a bar or whatever, we have significantly less than 65 people in here. So, awesome. Um, also, during this, this has been a charity uh, stream on my Twitch account for um, a charity that benefits people suffering uh most likely, uh, mostly children called Focus on the Children Armenia. Uh, they're suffering from the recent war in Artsakh. Uh, thousands of people were killed. Tens of thousands more were forced to flee for their lives. Um, and uh, a lot of, left a lot of people uh, food insecure, homeless. And uh, like a lot of these people moved to the Artsakh capital of Spanakert, which simply does not have the ability to take care of them all. I originally set a goal of a thousand dollars over the last twelve hours. We're now sitting at thirty-seven hundred and thirty-nine, uh, which I will uh, pay a thousand dollars into from Patreon um, to bump this up even more. So it's been incredible. Um, so this is going to be the first live questions from the Legion, and we're going to take it from the crowd. We'll, we'll take uh, there's three of us. Do we do we want to do? Are we going to just do questions for the next? You got like a half hour left. Yeah. We can do that. Um, and I said, do you want to stop? Do you just want to stop the recording? Because we're at like an hour and a half of this fucking recording. Yeah. So why don't we stop the recording and then just do questions and answers for the next half hour? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Uh, I don't know how to end that. So we're going to have to cap off an ending that Nate can slap onto the end. Um, yeah. So uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Um, and until next time, don't. Assault uh, the Asanzo. Austria. Then don't do war. Don't take part in World War One. It's bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. Until next time. Uh, later. Don't go to the Asanzo. <laughs> <laughs>